The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourself that do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moths destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet, so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. If he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. The texts that we have today raise questions, for me at least, about faith. What is it? And what does it look like? And what do we mean when we talk about faith? I think that faith is one of those words that we use very often, but probably don't think very deeply about. Uh, We talk in terms of having enough of it, as though it's some sort of thing you can hold, and if you acquire enough of it, everything's going to be okay. And that borders a little bit on magic, as though we can conjure up this stuff, and it'll make a difference for us. Well, I think the writer to the Hebrews helps a lot in coming to some understanding of what faith is and what faith looks like. First, I think it's uh, helpful for us to recall some of the things about the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, I probably only preach on the letter to the Hebrews when we come to this text. (laughs) And I'm sure there are many here who probably haven't read it for some time. Uh, There's very little that we really know about that letter. We don't know the author. We don't know really when it was written. We have some idea and we don't know who it was, who it was addressed to for sure. But scholars have uh, looked at the letter and studied it and studied the circumstances of the first century. And from that, there have been many ideas that have been uh, come forward about who may have written it, including the possibility of a woman having written it. Of course, there were many others as well that have been put forward as possible authors. It's believed that it probably was written to a Christian community that was made up of people who had been a part of the Jewish community, Jewish Christians in Rome. And it probably was written in the early 60s in the first century. So one can imagine that these uh, Roman Christians who had separated themselves from their earlier Jewish community were feeling some of the rejection of that community. And they perhaps were also experiencing some persecution. 
But it's believed that one of the purposes of this letter is to reassure those who had believed that Christ was going to come back very quickly after the resurrection. And now they had waited 30 years, maybe more, and nothing had happened. And how to encourage them so that they wouldn't lose hope, so they wouldn't lose hope in the promise that he would return. And so the writer to the Hebrews, especially in this 11th chapter, talks about faith and offers a number of examples. It's a fairly long chapter, a number of examples of the heroes and heroines of their faith and how they lived by faith. Now, with that as as a kind of background, I think it's also important for us to look especially at that first uh, first verse of chapter 11. It's a definition of faith. It says now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the convictions of things not seen. Now, this particular translation of the Greek gives a subjective definition with words like assurance and conviction. Assurance and conviction are things that that I have to have uh, some belief in. I have to I have to somehow personally connect with that. There are other scholars who think a better translation is the one that we have in the King James Version. This is more objective. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Substance and evidence are objective things. They don't depend on how I feel. It isn't a matter of me conjuring up enough uh, uh, a mind game so that I can say, yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm convinced of this. This is substance and evidence. Now, I should add that uh, the King James Version is not the only one that has that more objective translation of that verse. The New English Bible does, as well as the Jerusalem Bible, the Geneva Bible. And who knows, there's so many more translations, there may be others. The argument behind using this more objective uh, translation of the Greek is that it's more consistent with the message of the writer of the letter to the Hebrews. And it's also more consistent with what's, what follows, especially as we look at this incredible story of Abraham and Sarah. So understood this way, faith is not some uh, some nebulous feeling that we might have or some affirmation that we might make, but rather it is action. And when faith is manifested in action, it makes the unseen and the hoped for real. So perhaps the first verse of the chapter is less a definition of faith and more a description of what faith does and what faith looks like. It's active obedience. It's not passive belief. And that's, I think, really important for us to hold on to, because the way we use faith so often is in a very passive way. But I think what we hear in this letter to the Hebrews is something that's very active. It depends on our actions. So the writer to the Hebrews then goes on to make her case. I'm going to assume it was Priscilla that wrote this book. And she goes back and looks at the heroes and the heroines of the faith. And she starts with Abraham and Sarah. 
And this story is an amazing story. If if you've not read it, you should take the time to go back to Genesis and read it. It it will give you goosebumps when you if you can put yourself in the situation of Abraham and Sarah. And it's really about two promises. There's a promise of inheritance, a promise of land. And there's also a promise of descendants. It starts with this promise of inheritance. God called Abraham and told him to go. And as one writer put it, uh, perhaps the most powerful words in all of Scripture are simply the words, Abraham went. God said, go. Abraham went. That's faith. It's action. Abraham left what he knew, what he understood, a religion that he understood and that he was formed in, a family system that was important to him, an economic system that was important to him. And he went and he didn't know where he was going. But he trusted. He trusted that the promise would be real. Now, the interesting thing about this understanding of faith is that when we act on faith, when we act, when we do something, we begin to live into the promise and the promise starts to become real. This has helped me enormously as I thought about uh, the promises we have of the kingdom of God. And you'll notice in the gospel lesson today, it starts out with Jesus saying, don't be afraid, little ones. That's just wonderful. Don't be afraid. How often we need to hear that. Don't be afraid. It's God's delight to give you the kingdom. Now, they must have thought, where is it? I don't see it. I'm not experiencing it. And I have asked that same question. Where is the kingdom? But the kingdom is present now and not yet. And it's present now when we act, when we act in faith, when we express our faith in action to bring about the kingdom. And, you know, in reality, what happened with Abraham was that he purchased a small piece of land outside of what is today Hebron, and he bought it as a burial place. That's the kingdom, or rather, that is the inheritance that he had in his lifetime. And it was many generations later that there was a kingdom that came about as a result of all of that, a result of his faithfulness and his acting on it. Well, the second promise is the promise of descendants. And it's a, it's a wonderful little passage because it not only emphasizes the fact that they were beyond childbearing age and there was barrenness in that family. But then the writer goes on and said that Abraham was as good as dead. <laughs> it doesn't get worse than that, probably. <laughs> and yet the promise was there, the promise of descendants. And it goes on to say, but because he considered him, God, faithful, who had who had promised, he could trust in God. Because Abraham could trust that God is faithful, he could live into that promise. And they did have children. And there were descendants, as many as the stars and the sands upon the, upon the seashore. What's so important, I think, about this response to the second promise is that it isn't about 
their belief that they could do it. But it was about their belief that because God is faithful, it would come about. I believe that all of our lives are dependent, really, on the faithfulness of God. It is God's faithfulness when we are unfaithful. It's God's faithfulness when we feel the least capable. It's God's faithfulness when we wonder how is it possible that this world could ever be better than it is right now. It's always God's faithfulness and not ours. The psalmist also recognizes this aspect of God. And in one place writes, the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. Well, you've heard me mention before uh, something that is called practical theology. And after going through what I just did, I think it's important to also recognize that the way we live our lives is really an expression of what we believe about God, our relationship to God, and what we believe about what might be theological principles, but they aren't very real until the rubber meets the road and we live it out. So for me, my definition of faith in my practical theology is walking with God and trusting God's faithfulness. I think that's about all we can do. We walk with God and we trust the faithfulness of God. That's what I see in the lives of Abraham and Sarah. And more importantly, it's what I see in the lives of people in this parish and in other people in my life. And I'm sure that you see it as you encounter people in your lives as well. It's like taking the hand of God and trusting that it's God's faithfulness that will see us through. Well, today we have the privilege of baptizing Jackson. And perhaps nothing in the world represents more clearly the faithfulness of God than the, than the birth of a child. With all of that child's potential, with all of the joy and love that that brings to a family and an extended family. And today we will pray for the beginning of a faith journey for Jackson. And may God bless him and make him a blessing to others as well as he grows into a life of faith, trusting the one who can be trusted, trusting the faithfulness of God. Amen.